The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome to Leadership for Life with Gina Gardner on W4CY Radio and Talk 4 TV. Join your host who is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, empowerment and transformational leadership coach and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely Hyphen You and has 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine authentic power. And now here is Gina Gardner, your host of Leadership for Life. Hello there and welcome to the show today. Have we got a great show for you? My guest Elizabeth Haywood has written the most amazing novel and it's one of those things that I have huge admiration. I've written many books but I haven't written anything that requires me to use my imagination. All of my books are sharing expertise and experience so I think that they are a very different animal. At the heart of today's show is all about resilience it's about the capacity no matter what happens in your life for you to get up again to become the leader of your own life if you think about it it's the main theme of this show what struck me when i read elizabeth's book and it's a really great read is although the book is set many years ago how many of the themes resonate today? And in a little while, we're going to um, join with Elizabeth and she's going to tell us about herself and about the book. But I want to spend this first few minutes of today's show thinking about resilience. We've been through the most challenging times in the last 15 uh, months or so. And one of the things that I think has made the difference are those people who have the resilience to recognize that they will survive the challenge. Now, I recognize that many people have succumbed to this terrible virus, but I'm talking about the resilience to when life is tough to get up again. Those of you who know my story will know that I've had my own challenges and I hope that I've demonstrated resilience in terms of getting on with things. But ultimately, it's not the challenge that defines you. You've heard that from me several times. It's what you do with it. And one of the things, there are many things about the book that were great, but one of the things that really struck me was that the heroine of the book, Lucy, is incredibly resilient in very difficult circumstances. So what is it that makes the difference between people who are resilient and people who see themselves as victim and become unable to help themselves because life is happening to them rather than life is happening for them. And so think about yourself. How often do you find yourself moaning and complaining and focusing on all the things that are going wrong? Or you use the challenge to develop and grow and out of that challenge become an even better version of yourself. Now, let's be honest when you are in the middle of the challenge, I am not suggesting that there aren't days when it's dark and difficult, nor am I suggesting that you should not um, ever complain. 
what I am saying is if you get stuck in that cycle of complaining and poor me, it doesn't do anything to help you manage the situation. We become slaves, if you like, to our the voice that goes on in our head, to the identity that we give ourselves, whether we are the hero in our life story or whether we are the victim in our life story. And ultimately, that's your choice. Moment by moment, you are making choices, whether they're conscious or not. And those of you that are like the vast majority of the population who get stuck in that unconscious thinking can find it's all too easy to become the victim. Now, it requires courage to be resilient. You know, when life is really tough, being able to shake yourself up, up, shake yourself off and get up and get going again really does take courage. Now, it's not the superhuman courage where you wear your red sparkly knickers over your trousers or you, uh, uh, and so on, but it's that day-to-day -day small acts of courage where you get up in the morning, where you look for how you can make this day better. That courage for me is truly important in terms of becoming and being, sustaining, being the leader in your own life. Think about the last few weeks. How often have you found yourself dipping below the line into that place where you think things are hopeless, where you're overwhelmed, where you feel that life is just too tricky and think about what resources that you have available to you now i use the the analogy of small children when they're learning to walk because for me that resonates because i've learned to walk twice as an adult when you watch a little child learning to walk they demonstrate in a very practical way true resilience because when they fall over and inevitably they do they may cry for a minute or two, but they get up and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going until they crack it. And that's the same really for us all. We often don't know the answers uh, and it's only by trial and error that we find the way forward. But your mindset is so important. If you believe that you can't, then you won't. If you believe that you can, and you look for the opportunities and you try out different things and the likelihood is that you will succeed. You're certainly far more likely to succeed than if you believe that you'll fail. And you're going to take different decisions and those decisions are far more likely to be empowering. So we are going to, um, in a few minutes, join Elizabeth and talk about her book. But I want you to think about how often in the news these days we hear stories of slavery. There's been much, haven't there, with Black Lives Matter about slavery. And yet modern day slavery is alive and kicking. And I find it really sad that in the 21st century that many people are enslaved by people who believe that they have the right to, um, to hold them captive, to use their power in a way that I believe is inappropriate and should not be happening. But I think we can also become a slave to our own thinking, to our own limiting beliefs. They can keep us just as confined, just as a much a capital um, 
with very difficult um, outcomes to it. Now, I don't want to make light of slavery. It is the most pernicious thing. And there are many people who are still bearing the brunt of a, of a societal um, way of being. And we'll hear much about that in the book. But I want you to also think about the role of women and how many women feel constrained by the way in which society um, treats them. Now, I've worked with many, many corporate women, business women, and they talk about the glass ceiling. And in my experience, it's often a ceiling that they have, if not created, and some of them have, they've perpetuated it because they have believed in the glass ceiling and that in itself has kept them playing small. I think it's time to break the shackles, the shackles of your limited thinking, your limited beliefs. It is time to step up and to be confident about who you are and your capacity to manage no matter what the situation is. You know, it's sensible if you're struggling to ask for help, but there's a difference between asking for help in, in the light of being a victim, poor me, you need to do it for me, and asking for help to help you step into your genuine power so you can do it for yourself. So after the break, we're going to be exploring Lucy, the ultimate survivor, and Elizabeth Haywood's story. So don't go away. I'll see you in a couple of moments. You have been listening to Gina Gardner on Leadership for Life. We'll be back after this quick break. Want to get the best out of life personally and professionally? Are you ready to step into a life which excites and fulfills you? Well, the right place for you is Leadership for Life with Gina Gardner on W4CY Radio and Talk4TV. We will share with you stories from inspiring people, a wide range of guest experts, and lots of practical strategies to help you get the very best out of your personal and professional life. Leadership for Life is a radio and TV show focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Join international best-selling author, motivational speaker, empowerment and transformational leadership coach and trainer, Gina Gardner, live every Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY Radio and Talk 4 TV. Become the leader of your own life. Gina Gardner's number one international best-selling book, Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment, provides you with the foundational principles on which to become the best leader of your own life. It's available as an ebook, paperback, hardback, and as an audio from genuinely-u.com or also from Amazon. Every one of the principles have been proven to work for the countless people who have used them, including the author. Now, let's put them to work for you. If you're ready to discover your true leadership life design, accelerate your journey with an invitation to join Gina for Leadership for Life VIP Day. Choose your journey of self-discovery where Gina will help you navigate your way to happiness, success, and fulfillment. To find out more, email gina at genuinely-u.com. Welcome back to Leadership for Life. 
Here is your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there. I am so excited to be able to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Haywood. Let me read you her bio. Dr. Elizabeth Haywood has spent her career in business in the UK, Europe and America. She's held a range of leadership roles in public, private and third sectors. She lives with her husband, Lord Peter Hayne, mostly in South Wales. This is her first book born out of a desire to tell her ancestors' extraordinary story. An extraordinary it is. So without more ado, let me welcome Elizabeth Haywood. Hello, Hi. <laughs> Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I have to say before we start, I couldn't put your book down. In fact, you owe me um, a night's sleep because I started the book early in the evening and I finally finished it at about half past six in the morning um, because it was such a good read and I can really recommend it to anybody. Before we get started on the book, I'd love to know um, your story, if you'd share that with our viewers and our listeners so they get to know you a bit before we start on the book. Okay, well, thank you for inviting me on, Gina, and thank you for that um, that plug and that compliment just now. That's absolutely lovely. I'm sorry you missed a night's sleep, though. <laughs> I missed quite a few when I was writing Lucy, I can assure you. Um, so where to start? Well, I was born in Scotland um, to a Royal Naval officer and a, and a nurse. That's my, my father and my mm. mother, um, hence in Scotland, because my dad was based on the Clyde at the yeah. time. Um, and then I was brought up um, mainly in um, the southwest and southeast of England, in Devon and Surrey. Um, and um, I didn't go to university after I left school. I decided to go to work. And that was when I went out and I worked for the European Parliament in Luxembourg. And I worked in New York for trade journals. And eventually I decided that I wasn't going to get very far unless I went to university. So um, first one in my, my family to go. So I went to university. Congratulations chose Cardiff. Um, I managed to squeak in just a year before my much younger brother, so that was quite good. Um, and um, I chose Cardiff for my first degree and, and for my PhD I went to, um, it was a sort of a joint thing between Paris and Swansea. And I stayed on in Wales afterwards to work there and uh, working for, first of all, for the Welsh Development Agency. And then I headed up the CBI in Wales, the Confederation of British Industry. And then I moved to London for a bit and worked for some uh, the train companies, the passenger train companies as comms director. So it's been quite varied. And more recently, I've um, I've been, I've picked up some of the, the threads of that. Um, I, I headed my own headhunting company for a while. So I picked up the themes of uh, recruitment and management due diligence, and also the theme of communication and PR um, and took those into some non-exec roles um, which I, and I've been on, on several boards and I'm chairing one at the moment um, and uh, then then we come to sort of actually writing the book if you like and um, that sort of came out of the blue although the background to it has been there throughout my really since I was a tiny child so throughout my life. What was the spur? What was the thing, the pivotal moment that you, I've got to write this story, I've got to take this this note, this known background and I've got to do something yeah. with it? It was um, actually in 2007, uh, which you may or may not remember was the um, anniversary, the bicentenary of the abolition of the slave trade. Yeah. Um, we got contacted um, by a museum that wanted to run an exhibition 
um, that year and asked if we had any artifacts that they could borrow for the exhibition. Um, and it was around, did we have anything that belonged to Sam Lord, so my great, great, great grandfather, um, or indeed Lucy, his wife. Um, and this was in South Wales. And that was the first time I realised that actually, and I was living in Wales at the time, so mm. and working. And uh, that was the first time I realised that actually Lucy had returned to Wales and that she hadn't spent all her life in Barbados. Don't know why I hadn't, I hadn't clocked it before, but I hadn't. Yeah. So it started me looking through some of the papers that we had. And um, so, so going through those and trying to decipher some of the handwritten documents mm. that we had. And that really just it seemed such an interesting story, but there were so many gaps um, because my grandfather had many, many years ago, he'd gone out to Barbados um, on a banana boat, quite literally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to, and because there were two things that he had heard about Sam Lord, so my great, great, great grandfather. One was that he was a wrecker and a pirate and the other was that he was a wife beater. Well, he managed to disprove the theory of the, the wrecking and the pirate piracy, but not the one about the wife beater. So as I started to read the little bits that I could find about Lucy, I thought this is a story that absolutely has to be told. She's an amazing woman. Look what she did. But very difficult to find the facts because yeah. so much from that time, we're talking over 200 years ago, yeah. simply doesn't exist anymore. I think it would be really helpful if you could give a synopsis of the book um, okay. because it would put things into perspective. Yeah. Okay, well, this is a story about a nice white bourgeois girl who was brought up on the Welsh English border um, in a wealthy family. Um, and then she she basically she kicks against the prick. She's quite a she's quite a feisty little madam um, through her childhood. And um, she has a runaway marriage to a planter from Barbados. And um, this is the early 1800s. So she goes out with him to Barbados, giving birth for the first time on board ship. And you have to bear in mind that this is during the Napoleonic Wars. So there was yeah. lots of piracy going on and it was it was, you know, it was tough. And um, then she found herself in a. Um, a trammelled but privileged life in a plantation house on Barbados, quite crowded with her husband's family and surrounded by enslaved workers. Um, and gradually she finds out that her husband is not the gorgeous hunk that she thought he was. He was pretty good looking. Um, and their relationship started to deteriorate with a great many fights. Um, which, of course, is when the domestic abuse started to, to kick in. But she refused. She would every single time she was knocked down. And that I mean, literally, physically, as well yes. as, as mentally, um, she always got up. And that was the thing that really struck me about Lucy, that she had so much courage. She showed so much resilience, as you've been talking about, and, and really showed leadership because she's there. She's she's hundreds and hundreds of miles away from her family. She has absolutely nobody there really to support her. Um, and she has to do it all herself. So how is she going to fight back? A lot of people would have just sort of lain down under that and, and not, not accepted anything, but she didn't. She got up and she decided to fight. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell the whole story at all, but, you know, this, this is a woman who, as I say, is out there with no family and she has no rights at all. Her husband has all the rights over her. So she's a chattel, a thing in law in many ways, less value than one of the enslaved workers, hasn't she? Because well, her, her fortune has been taken over by her husband and she has no rights over it at all. 
No, she has no rights over it. And um, it's a difficult one, that, because, of course, you know, enslaved people, their whole life has just gone um, and, and they have mm. no wealth. Yes, the ones who uh, had a skill, they were more respected and were given a little bit more freedom. But to know that you're always, always going to be somebody's thing, um, at least, yeah. I mean, women had a sort of a, a gloss, a kind of veneer of, of civilization around the way that they lived. But it was more or less a veneer. You're absolutely right. And that was that was really tough. And I thought it was really important for the younger generation in the family who hadn't really shown much interest in the family yeah. history to, to know about this and to understand, you know, where some of the strong characters in the family actually came from. So yeah. that was what started me writing the book. I didn't want for one moment to make light of being an, uh, somebody who's been enslaved, but it just seems that in modern day, it's almost incomprehensible, isn't it? That because you've got married, that as you get married, so any rights that you have just disappear and that your husband has effectively ownership over who you are and what you do. It does, but then we hear all these stories all the time about people who are suffering domestic violence. And so often, I mean, I don't know what your reaction is, but very often I think, well, why doesn't she leave? Well, but it's that an takes interesting huge courage. It does. And I've worked with a number of people who have been um, abused. And the sort of comments that you get is, but at least I knew where I was. If I left, I have no financial um freedom i have they've very often got children if i leave how am i going to live how will i bring up my feed my children and so it they get stuck in that sense that there is no other option and once you believe you have no option that becomes your reality doesn't it exactly. it's not the reality but ultimately, stepping out of that place, even though it's so difficult, I'm going to say uncomfortable, but that doesn't do it justice. Um, you are then really stuck in a place where you feel that there is nothing that you can do. And that was one of the things that struck me about Lucy is time and time again, she's in a situation that, to be honest with you, most people would give up. Mm -hmm. that she finds a way through yes that she's and I, not I, gonna allow it i think that's very true because um it, it was one of the things that really struck me as well because not only is she in barbados and without any real support but yeah she's not getting a huge amount of support from her mother either um who is very much of the view well you know our reputation the family's reputation will be Absolutely. destroyed if you yeah. your husband if you try to divorce because it wasn't really acceptable in those days yeah. and yet and and of course she she didn't have any money of her own so it was yeah. very difficult for her um it, despite the fact i mean it, it, it seems incredible because she was back and forth between the uk and barbados so many times by ship it's quite incredible it really is but she didn't actually have any money really to do it so no. she was dependent on finding ingenious ways to, to yes. come back um, to what she considered her home outside Chepstow. One of the other things that struck me is that, particularly when she first arrived in Barbados, that the one person that she I got the sense that she had a connection with was actually um, the her, her slave who was um, her personal servant. Um, and that there was, I thought, felt there was a growing understanding on both sides that actually that uh, it was not 
um, you know, one all having the privilege and the other all having the difficulty. But there was this this meeting of two women in actually very difficult circumstances. And I'd be really interested in your take on that because you're just getting my opinion from having read the book, whereas you you have an intention around the writing of it. Well, Francine, who was um, allocated to Lucy as her personal slave, um, is is I hope she's an interesting character. She's the only major character who is not genuinely from history. Right, that's very difficult to find the, you yeah. know, the detail around around people who were enslaved because, of course, it was you know no records were kept, and. You're right. I wanted to try and create that link there. Um, so it was important that Lucy felt mortified when she realised, for example, when she'd gone shopping, that she didn't bring anything back for Francine. She brought things back for other people or or the the joy of Francine when she gave her um, the sketch that she had made of her. And and then, of course, you know, what happens later. And I won't say what happens later because no. people might actually yeah. read the book. But um, <laughs> but that and all of those little things were gradually sort of developing a link. And of course, Francine was hugely important in terms of what happened to Lucy at the end in helping her to escape from Barbados for the final time and return to England. Now, we can't talk about this book in current times without talking about Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. And, you know, here we are in the 21st century um, where we still, and we've just had the football and all of the aftermath of, of um, racial intolerance and abuse. What's your take on this? And did it influence, well, I, I don't know that Black Lives Matter, the, um, had in terms of its movement, more recently, obviously it's, uh, did it hasn't started in the first started the book so but what's your take on this whole thing well i i think the the racist abuse that has been going on is absolutely horrific but what gave me real hope and i think this is the first time we've really seen it is if you look at the mural of uh, marcus rashford and the the defacing of that and then you see the community response to that yeah. In other words, no, we're not going to accept it. We're going to drown out your racism. We're going to show that actually we are a community. That really gives me hope. And I think yeah. it is incredibly important. You're right, Black Lives Matter didn't exist when I first started to write the book because I mean, it's taken me some years to do it. Uh, I was doing it part time. But of course, the issues it, are all there. It's just exactly, the movement. Exactly. And, and so I did, when I was rereading it for publication, um, I was looking at it in, in light of Black Lives Matter. And it was important to do that because, of course, language has moved on. And while you can use certain language in inverted commas because it's speech, it's dialogue of the era, I was very careful to make sure that I, I tried anyway, and I certainly hope I succeeded, to um, use uh, correct language now, which would not upset people. Because I think, I think this is a story because of uh, what Francine does. I think it is a story also for, um, for people of colour to look at and actually be proud of some of the things that, you know, as they should be, of the history of their own peoples. And I'm absolutely delighted that one of the things that has happened in, in because of Black Lives Matter is a, is a focus on teaching um, black 
and other ethnic minority history to children in schools. And we all ought to, I mean, I didn't learn any when I was at school, did you? It well, was just it, not there. It was mentioned um, and, you know, there was a, a discussion about slavery and how, how wrong it was. Mm -hmm. but, but I think it's very difficult to, I mean, that's no excuse, but it's very difficult to actually get a grasp of that when you're, I think we, I was in junior school, so, you know, it's not until you become an adult and start to recognise how entrenched discrimination is. And in my own very, very, very tiny way, as a wheelchair user, um, I get, uh, you know, I have experienced challenges because people have been, um, have been, have made assumptions about my capacity. Absolutely. And, but when I look at the, how endemic it is, how people make assumptions about people because, simply because of how much melatonin there is in their skin, it just sickens me. One yeah. of my other guests was a lady called Deborah Thorne, who is um, uh, an amazing black woman. She calls herself the CEO, not the CEO. And she is just amazing. But we were talking about this in a discussion outside the show and she was said, talking to me about things that have happened in her life that really made me sit up and think. You know, she said that, that um, she was in a lift not that long ago with her grandson and uh, there was a white woman in the lift and as she got in there with her grandson, the white woman clutched her handbag to her chest. And the little lad was 11. And yeah. she said to the woman, you know, you have nothing to fear. And the woman um, said, oh, no, no, I don't know. She said, yes, you did. But I don't want my son to grow up feeling that he needs to be anything other than himself. Yeah. But at the same time, she has a son who's in his 30s. And she says, every time he goes out, I worry, will he come back? Not because he's done anything but because you may have been stopped and something may happen. Yeah, I, I'm, you're, you're, you're right. And I think it, there's a, a degree of discrimination across the piece. So, I mean, if you look at women and I'm, you know, white women, any colored women, it doesn't really matter, but particularly white women, um, if you walked into a boardroom or you walked into a, a group normally of male bosses, naturally, yeah. you were expected to serve the tea. You were probably thought to be the tea yeah. lady, actually. Yeah. Or, or um, certainly when I, I first started out, I can remember one of the outrageous excuses for not having women in the boardroom was that there weren't any ladies' toilets on the boardroom floor. I mean, crazy things like that. Yeah. And you mentioned about your disability. And I've, I've recently been, I've just come off, actually, the Leonard Cheshire um, Disability oh, right. Charities Board. So saw quite a lot of this and, and how people are really trying to open up and make people understand. And that's it. We've got people open people's eyes. Yeah. So when you were talking about black history and we well, we when we were talking about black history just now, I think, you know, we, we learned about the heroes of the Roman Empire from 2000 years ago. Well, actually, it might have been more relevant if we'd heard about some of the, the heroes um, and the strong characters from the, um, the you know, from among the, the different black denominations um, over the last two, three hundred, four hundred, yeah. five hundred years. You know, what you talked about having hope because of the, the outpouring of people's 
frustration and anger at that young black footballers could be um, treated so badly. And I, I do believe that we, I hope we are at a watershed that where what's going on with Black Lives Matters, with um, what's going on with the football, will actually make people who otherwise have walked around completely unconscious of the problem and made the assumption that there is no racism because they're not actively involved in it. Or they but don't they, see what they're doing as racist. They're, it's unthinking racism. Mm. Uh, and I think it's, it's the un, in many ways, it's the unthinking racism or discrimination to women or discrimination to disabled or whatever that actually is, is, is the more scary. Yes. Because when it's obvious and you can point it out and say that's wrong, then you've got half a chance of dealing with it. But when it is so buried into the culture, yeah. then it's very difficult. Awareness has to be the first step. And I think there should okay. be nobody in the Western world who watches the news who's not aware now because there's been so much coverage. But of course, awareness by in and of itself does nothing. We need action to be taken and consistent action rather than um, people just paying lip service to that action, don't we? Yes, we do. And that's where I think Black Lives Matter can really, can make a difference. It's a, I mean, you look at somebody like Lewis Hamilton and what he is doing in Formula One, but he's put his money where his mouth is, he's set up his commission, and he's actually starting to get some results. It will take time, but he's really focused on yeah. that. I think he's an amazing young man, I really do. I do, and you look at Marcus Rushton, and I mean, I think it's terrible that he should need to fight for children to be fed. Absolutely. But I think it is amazing that he has, you know, he and other people are using their position to actually give the underprivileged a voice. Yes. And we need more of that. Mm. And so, you know, I know you've done a lot of work in leadership and that's, that's my thing. Um, that until we have leaders who model by example, who have a zero tolerance of discrimination of any sort. Uh, when we've got that, we've got leaders who lead with integrity, compassion, and the courage to do what's right. But that, then comes, I think back to, that comes back to the whole recruitment problem. So we've got, you know, targets for having women and people of colour and people with disabilities on boards. But you can't have those unless you have um, a pipeline behind of executives. Yeah. And who chooses those executives? You know, so you get, you end up because people do go, you know, it's like to like. You can't help it. it and there are ways around it. There are, you know, yeah. different forms of recruitment that you can yeah. use. But it's very hard to start to develop that. So until that becomes much more the norm and we start to see many more people of colour coming through at senior level and then going on to the boards, many more women. We are beginning to see women, but it's not that brilliant. We still no. have to keep pushing. And people with disabilities i mean i think that's even further behind still at the moment sadly sadly i think though the one thing that i that seems to me so important is that we each have to take radical responsibility for how we are showing up on a moment by moment basis the words that we use that you know filtering our thoughts and if we become aware that those those thoughts actually come from a, a prejudiced place to be open enough to think, actually, I need to rethink this. But I think the whole thing has to start with education in the home, 
education you know if you look at, at, at the life chances of people yes they're not equal by any means are they no. No. You know, 1984 was a long time ago, but, you know, there are those that are equal and those that are more equal than others. It's still true, isn't it? Yes. And if you look back at Lucy, you know, you can see that women have come a long way since then, but also that there's still an awfully long way to go. So yes. it, is, it is a problem. But one of the things I think that we can do if we and it's each of us. So it's small steps, mm -hmm. but is try and mentor somebody. You know, yeah. if we've got our eyes open, I mean, you can use your experience with disability to help somebody else yes. with a disability actually move up the ladder. You know, um, we can we can all do a bit of that and actually try and change attitudes as we go. It's slow. It's small. But that's the way you, you get get there in the end. And ultimately, all we can do is to take the next step and the next and to not let things go. And I think, uh, who was it that said the only thing that for evil to persist is for good men and women to do to nothing, stay, to do nothing is stay yeah, silent. Absolutely. So before we go, right, well, before uh, your interview finishes, what would you like to say to anybody who uh, is thinking of either buying a book for themselves or buying a book for somebody else? What is it about your book that that you think is so important that they should read it? Ooh, um, I think for me, it's the fact that it is a true story mm -hmm. um, and that you can see just how, uh, how strong women were, and in this case, Lucy, 200 years ago. And we can still learn from that. We can still learn from her experience. And I think it's, it's just the sheer, the color in her life um, in terms of the way that she lived her life is, I think it provides a really good example for people today. If you've got young people who are thinking, well, you know, how am I going to do things? How am I going to succeed if I've got all these problems? We've had lots of problems over the last year. And I think young people in particular have yeah. really suffered from that and have felt really sort of beaten down. Well, okay, so you need to find that inner strength, which we all do have. It doesn't always exist because it gets beaten out of us or because we're going through a really bad time. Yeah. But we've all got some. So it's trying to find that spark of inner strength that helps you to get out of the position you're in. And Lucy had it in, in shovelfuls and, and she, really, she really showed it. And I just think by looking at a story that is about 200 years ago, you can actually get some kind of objectivity yeah. um, and you can, you can feel some emotion, but without actually getting so emotionally distraught and embroiled yeah. that you, you, you just can't take it any further. So I think yeah. that is a really important reason for reading the book. Excellent. Now you've got a great offer. Would you like to um, share your offer? Yes. Um, any, if, if a book club, I mean, I think this is a really good book for a book club, though some might think that it's quite long, so maybe longer than some of the ones they look at. But if um, a book club wants to get together and, and read the book, um, if you send me um, on one of my social uh, media uh, addresses, um, a picture of all of you in the book club holding my book up, and uh, that's the book. <laughs> so if you show show that to me and you want me to come and talk to you, I'll do um, an online, a 60 minute online session with your book club on the book. 
Fabulous, thank you. It's been an absolute delight. And finally, before you go, those of you that watch the show regularly or listen to it will know that we are proud members of B1G1, Buy One, Give One. And so um, it's an organization, there's a sister charities. One raises all of the money for all of the administration and the other, every penny that uh, is donated goes towards projects which are around the world. I choose three every month and I donate on behalf of my guests and you have chosen to plant trees to increase forest cover, helping setting up plantations within village areas um, in forests in, um, in, I think it's the Amazon, um, to reforest places because we desperately need that to happen. Once the plants are fully grown into trees, the, uh, the locals are able to have the rights to use it for firewood and for um, fodder, within the sustainable environment that's been created so that will be donated on your behalf for every hundred listeners remember we give free meals so please not only listen live but get people to download it the more that listen the more hungry people that we will feed so it only remains for me to say a huge thank you elizabeth it's been a great interview thank you very much well thank you for inviting me on i've really enjoyed it it's been brilliant. Don't go away. We've okay. still a few minutes of the show. I'll see you after the break. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. You have been listening to Gina Gardner on Leadership for Life. We'll be back after this quick break. Want to get the best out of life personally and professionally? Are you ready to step into a life which excites and fulfills you? Well, the right place for you is Leadership for Life with Gina Gardner on W4CY Radio and Talk4TV. We will share with you stories from inspiring people, a wide range of guest experts, and lots of practical strategies to help you get the very best out of your personal and professional life. Leadership for Life is a radio and TV show focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Join international best-selling author, motivational speaker, empowerment and transformational leadership coach and trainer, Gina Gardner, live every Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY Radio and Talk 4 TV. Become the leader of your own life. Gina Gardner's number one international best-selling book, Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment, provides you with the foundational principles on which to become the best leader of your own life. It's available as an ebook, paperback, hardback, and as an audio from genuinely-you.com or also from Amazon. Every one of the principles have been proven to work for the countless people who have used them, including the author. Now, let's put them to work for you. If you're ready to discover your true leadership life design, accelerate your journey with an invitation to join Gina for Leadership for Life VIP Day. Choose your journey of self-discovery where Gina will help you navigate your way to happiness, success, and fulfillment. To find out more, email gina at genuinely-you.com. Welcome back to Leadership for Life. Here is your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there. I'd like to spend the last few minutes of this program talking to you about how you can develop greater resilience, confidence. Ultimately, there are many people who are 
really struggling with lack of confidence, with anxiety, with low mood, with feeling overwhelmed. And the trouble with that, as those people who suffer will tell you, is that everything then seems to struggle. And many people will look to anaesthetize themselves with food or alcohol or drugs or shopping or sex or, you know, something that just makes them feel nothing. I was talking to a client this morning um, and you know, it's taken us about three months, but we really are beginning to get on top of her drink problem. Now, not an alcoholic in the accepted sense, a binge drinker, somebody who's got a high profile job who gets very, very stressed and who was using alcohol, particularly at the weekend, to just allow her to unwind, to get over the sense of um, that she had, that somebody was going to uh, find out that actually she was an imposter, that she wasn't as good as she thought she was, um, and to deal with the, the challenges in her both her professional and her personal life. Now, professionally, she's doing pretty well, but her personal life was really challenging. And so what I want to do is I want to share um, just a few strategies that you can employ that cost you nothing, apart from a bit of time, uh, but also to um, offer you a couple of uh, products that, that may be of help. Is that okay? Now, two of the things that have really made a difference to all of my clients that I've worked with who have anxiety, lack of confidence and so on, is working on your sense of self-worth creating that relationship with yourself where you become your own best friend. Now, that might sound a bit ludicrous to you, but so many people treat everybody else well, but they don't treat themselves well. And if you don't believe in yourself, then how are you going to get anybody else to believe in you? So I want to share with you three exercises. The first exercise um, is to recognize that you are enough, okay? And one of the things that I do, and you can get uh, these online or you can make your own, is to create posters that you, whether they're little post-its or big posters, mine are beautiful photographs with the words on, I am enough. And to put them in places around the house where you're going to see them. And as you do each time, with some real conviction and welly to say, I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. And to recognize that in doing so, you start to recalibrate your brain so that your brain begins to see you in a very different light. Now, I had heard this in, um, it, on a, a course, I've adapted it, but I, I used it with a group of women in a, a, a wellness and confidence group, and I asked them to do it for a month. And at the end of the month, I got feedback such as, it's amazing. I feel so much more assertive. I've suited my boss out. I've, uh, I've been able to be so much more. And that was consistently the message, different words, but the, the message the same from every single lady that did it. Since then, I've used it with hundreds of people. If you want my photographs, you'll find them on genuinelyu.com, genuinely-u.com, but you can make your own. And to start with, with this group, I just made um, a little, little uh, signs out, uh, on uh, A5 paper. But it's doing it consistently. The second thing is to 
collect gratitudes. Gratitude is such a powerful emotion and has the capacity, once again, to recalibrate the brain. The other thing about being grateful is that you have to be in the moment. So as you go through the day, collect gratitudes. For me, great plumbing, a lovely cup of tea, the natural world, my pet cat, are all things to be grateful for. When some, a friend phones, when somebody gives me a hug, a nice meal. And through the day, throughout the day, every day, really notice those things and feel grateful. And then just before you go to bed, scan the day and choose your top three or your top five. And if you've got children, get them to do the same and make it part of their bedtime routine because you can start to instill that confidence, that feeling that, that life is good uh, with them. The third thing that I am suggesting that you do is to recognise that you um, it's your choice whether to be happy. And if you're interested, there's a seven-day happiness challenge that you can go to on the website. There's also the, the personal empowerment plan, a 26-week program um, that you can do. It's very inexpensive, and that's designed particularly for anxiety and for lack of confidence. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, do go and buy the book, Lucy. Um, it really is a good read. And join me next week. Get people to download it so we can give lots of free news. Take care and become the leader of your own life. You have been listening to The Leadership for Life with your host, Gina Gardner. Make sure you tune in to W4CY Radio and Talk 4 TV next Thursday and every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for more Leadership for Life. If you missed any part of this episode or just want to hear or see it again, you can find the archive of the TV show on Talk 4 TV's YouTube channel and the podcast of The Leadership for Life on iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.